away, a week in Tampa, and Norwich City have returned to league action with a victory away at Swansea. It was a bitterly cold afternoon in South Wales as well. We're going to reflect on it here in the latest edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. I'm your host, Connor Southwell, joined by Paddy Davitt and Samuel Seaman to um, talk or pick the bones out of yesterday's victory over Russell Martin's side. Uh, Pad, it's, it's, we've all had a little bit of a refresh. Probably everyone needed a little bit of a break away from the way the championship season for Norwich City was was transpiring. Um, but, but what are your reflections on yesterday? I, th- I think maybe the common consensus seems to be a very positive result, but a performance that, that probably remains somewhat unconvincing. But, but does that necessarily matter given the run of form that Norwich were on, obviously before they went into this World Cup break? Well, I mean, ultimately, you know, it is a results-driven business and and a way win with a clean sheet is not to be sniffed at. So on that measure, um, you know, it was job done. But unfortunately, you know, it's not one game in isolation. It's kind of the 22nd game in a season, which has been fairly, you know, underwhelming. Um, Certainly large periods of turbulence in terms of that lack of consistency in results. And performances they're coming off the back of you know a rather toxic defeat to, to Middlesbrough at Carroll Road. And you know, the talk in between uh, was about resets and different animals. And yes, they got the result. Um, full credit to them. Um, but I don't think it felt like a reset to me. So, you know, that that nagging doubt that it was more of the same. Um and I think they they were fortunate to encounter a Swansea who, as pleasing as they are on the eye, um, they were very toothless and they could have played till midnight and I don't think they'd have breached Angus Gunn's goal. So a different, more potent championship rival with that weight of possession and territory might have been a different outcome. Or as I've written about today, you know, if Russell Martin could have lent to Pookie, Sergeant, maybe even Adamida, it might have been a different outcome because... Um, Perot, their main man, he's definitely gone off the boil compared to last season. So you can't argue with the result. Uh, Dean Smith has got the result. Um, he was happy with the aspects without the ball, which was what he flagged up after Middlesbrough, but conversely with the ball, at, certainly in the second half. I thought first half, they did a very good containment job, but they they had a counter-attacking threat, um, you know, two or three very good opportunities on the counter. But second half... Um, Far too passive, um, very inhibited. Dean Smith post-match talking about maybe it was that protection mode of we've, we've got a lead, we'll hold on to it rather than you know going on the front foot and trying to get a second, the third goal and kill the game. And maybe that's a reflection of the lack of self-confidence and self-belief in terms of results and performances. But there wasn't enough in that 90 minutes to, to feel that it was anything different. And, and the fear is, of course, that if we're still in the same cycle, then it's going to be followed by more patchy results and performances. And with three of the next four at Cara Road, just in terms of the mood, I don't think that would be a, a very good turn of events if we're, we're still scratching our heads and wondering why can't this head coach get the most out of this group of players or more out of this group of players. So, you know, we won't take it away. They, they got a result and it was badly needed. But um, in terms of the performances that we've seen to this point, it was more of the same for me. Yeah, I I, I would concur. It, it feels, and I said this in my verdict, it's, it's a very hard result to analyse in isolation because, again, once you sell, once again, you find it find it difficult to back it up with with real evidence that there was a real shift in terms of performance. But equally, and, and as Dean Smith and as you put to Dean Smith post match. You could also frame it that it could be somewhat of a building block if they were then able to go and build on it. But then we've been at this sort of junction before this season and and that hasn't happened. And I mean, just to kind of talk about what you said there in terms of the second half performance, I've got all of Norwich City's shots in front of me. They had uh, they had five yesterday. Three of them came within the minutes and they did call a single shot, not target, a single shot after the 30th burst. So... Sam, once again, it's very difficult to suggest kind of that, or that we saw any kind of different animal or that there was a real tangible step forward. And, and possibly, as, as Paddy discussed there, it was maybe a victory owed to what Swansea City were unable to do rather than perhaps what Norwich City did do. Yeah, I suppose so. But I think that game state that Paddy referenced in terms of Norwich scoring, obviously in the opening minute, perhaps 
does give Dean Smith a little bit of an explanation as to why it wasn't the most proactive performance. Um, you look at those stats and in my match report, I always update those as, as sort of things go on. And actually a lot of those shots were sort of the last 10, 15 minutes. And I'm not trying to, to excuse a performance that I think was not exactly what a team with the, the squad that Norwich City have would like to produce. But I think there are certainly mitigating circumstances that there perhaps haven't been at other times in the season. But it was the sort of game we were forecasting going into it. Um, Swansea did dominate possession and they did dominate the chances. Um, and I suppose Dean Smith would look at that as a, a the ultimate sort of pragmatist and say, well, he's got his, his game plan spot on in that case because Swansea play like that every game and Norwich have gone there to, to counter-attack and Russell Martin actually plays praised their, their ability to do that um, following the game. So I think there are certain elements of that that Dean Smith will be pleased with. He actually said post-match that 1-0 is his favourite scoreline and in that case he'll be, he'll be very pleased um, with what they've done. But within the context of how the season's already gone, that's where the problem lies. And I was speaking to some fans after the game um, yesterday and I actually said to them, if this was part of a Daniel Farker season, do you think you'd be looking at it as a, a very positive result? And they said, actually, if it was part of a Daniel Farker season, we'd be loving it because it would be something different and it would be the ability to grind out results. But I don't think these Norwich fans who were made to, you know, who've been starved of good football for a number of years, given that COVID break took out, um, their last championship title are particularly content to be sitting in fourth and producing football that isn't really entertaining for anyone to watch. Um, and I felt in that case, maybe that's where you criticise um, Dean Smith and his setup. Yesterday, Josh Sargent, the last time I spoke to him, also said that he felt Norwich, when they go 1-0 up, need to have a more positive mentality. Now, in South Wales, obviously that mentality and that defensive will actually got them the result in the end. So it's hard, hard to criticise them, you know, solely based on, on yesterday. But if you're looking at it as a problem across the season of them going one up, they're not having the right mentality when that happens, then you'd think there's probably going to be a, a few situations, as there already has been, um, where they sit on a lead a little bit too much. And you'd like to see signs of that proactive, proactivity um, going forward. I don't think you know, as, as I've referenced, Dean Smith will be particularly happy with with too many criticisms of a result that probably a lot of Norwich fans would have seen as a very good one going into the game. But wrapped around the context of how the season's been so far and the performances we've been subjected to, I don't think I don't think Norwich fans are particularly focused on on results. I think they're looking to the, the midterm and also to to the entertainment that they seek, and they haven't really seen too many good signs on on either of those fronts, unfortunately. And I guess there's there's an element, and, and just to kind of poke that old debate again, that there's been proof this season that that actually their performances have eventually married up with results. So even when there is a result like this, if the performance behind it isn't necessarily great, well, the evidence that's gone before suggests that that's going to even itself out, which is probably why there's there's still a lot of frustration, even though Norwich City managed to win the game. But, uh, you know, I, I spoke to Ben Gibson afterwards and, and he kind of admitted that the players felt that the performance wasn't particularly great. I think Isaac Hayden basically tweeted that it, it, it wasn't pretty and it really wasn't. But given where they were, Pad, before the break and that Middlesbrough defeat and, and everything that's around it and the noise that's gone on throughout the, the break over Dean Smith is set up, the, the direction of travel that Norwich City are going in, it probably felt like a result was was of primary importance. It, it probably felt that this was a kind of game that they needed and, and one that is certainly able or, or should be able hopefully to inject some confidence into a team that's looked pretty short of it in recent weeks yeah all that is true but as i said in my first remarks my concern now is that they return to Cow road and three of the next four in the league are at home and they're just in, unable so far to come up with a formula at home that would Take that solidity that we we saw at Swansea, and that was the commendable element of that win on Saturday. But but around that, going forward, far more cohesive, far more confident, ideally dominating the ball as well. But 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 putting teams on the back foot, and to take Sam's point, like Middlesbrough, the last game at home, get up very early, and then don't go on, go for the jugular put two or three other goals in and, and and that game is done by, you know, the final quarter of an hour rather than as it turned out, it was a, 
a rather sad twist um, in terms of Middlesbrough coming back and scoring the two goals. So my real concern is that, you know, if they can't change the narrative at Car Road, then three 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 games out of four at Car Road should be a platform to really catapult themselves back into the front rank, i.e. the Burnleys and the Sheffield United, maybe even the Watfords now. Um, but if it goes the other way, um, and it's more of what we saw against Middlesbrough, I mean, the last five games at Car Road in the league, one win. That's that's a team fighting for survival at the wrong end of the table, not a team going for promotion. Um, if they can't change that, uh, and underpinning that is if they can't change the the way they set about teams at Car Road with and without the ball, then you know very swiftly I think uh, it's going to get pretty toxic um, because ultimately, and Dean Smith would be the first to tell you this. Any any team who harbours any realistic ambitions of promotion, they have to have a good record at home. They have to be strong at home. I mean, away from home, that I don't think you you look at the the wins they've got on the board. I think there's only, I think I looked earlier, they've got five away wins now. I think only Middlesbrough, uh, sorry, Burnley and Sheffield United, off the top of my head, have got more away wins. So, irrespective of the performances, I think away from home, they've they've, they've got something going there that they can residually pick up points but at Carra Road it's a different affair entirely and and that's why I'm for me it's almost a holding pattern what we saw at Swansea is kind of what we've we've seen you know Blackpool that springs to mind that was a 1-0 dogged away performance Sunderland as well yeah exactly didn't have it all their own way certainly Sunderland yeah Sunderland was fingertips clinging on for a large period you know Hanley and Omabama Daly were excellent that day um but they got the job done, as they did against Swansea. But until I see some compelling evidence in this Carra Road swing upcoming between now and the turn of the year, or just into the turn of the year, um, then I, I, I can't I can't put forward a case that things have changed now and there is a reset and, you know, all that turbulence hitherto is behind them and that they can now look forward with a bit more positivity because something's clicked. There's there's more fluidity. There's there's more free flowing element to their football. We didn't see any of that at Swansea. So, you know, for now it's we're in a holding pattern, I think, and and we'll swiftly find out if this is different and if any work they've done over this month long period, you know, has transpired into something which is a marked departure from what they've served up at Car Road. Because, uh, you know, if it's not, then I think this could head south very quickly. Yeah, I, I, I concur. Um, there's, there's been a lot of focus on it on a quote that Dean Smith gave before the break, Sam. He, he said that he wanted to see Norwich City um, return as a different animal. He, he clarified that a little bit on Friday and sort of specified that he was talking uh, more so about kind of their work out of possession rather than perhaps their, their general play. Now, whether people agree with that or not is is probably up to the individuals in question. Um he felt yesterday that he he did see that from, from Norwich City, particularly from, from a defensive perspective. Again, Ben Gibson referenced their defensive structure and how good that was. And there is part of me that does accept that, but also there's part of me that feels, again, that's because of how Swansea really struggled to penetrate them in, in central areas, how they were pretty happy to play in front of them for a lot of it. But you, you do look at kind of the XG per shot rate, which I've, I've got in front of me, and that kind of shows that really Swansea had a big chance in either half. The first one that fell to Jay Fulton, uh, I think from a set piece, wasn't it? It was the second phase of a set piece that, that was a, uh, caused a bit of a scramble on the goal line. Um, uh, and then the one from Carl Norton in the second half, which probably should have done better at the back post with, with his header. And beyond that, really, Swansea didn't create anything that was particularly noteworthy. Angus Gunn didn't have to make a, a tremendously important save to keep Norwich City in it. So... Do you agree with Dean Smith? Did you see a, a different animal, a different Norwich City out of possession compared to what we saw before the break? Or, or was it much of the same for you? Yeah, I definitely wouldn't say that I saw a, a different animal. And it's a game of opinions. I don't want to um, criticise Dean Smith too much for that. And I suppose in the opening few seconds, he may have seen a different animal when Danel Sinani managed to dispossess Swansea and, and almost play table cookie in. Um, in sort of the first 15 seconds. But I felt what what he's talked about quite a lot is winning the ball back quickly. And when he referenced that different animal, it felt to me like he meant more pressing and, and winning the ball back as opposed to their ability to sit back in, in their own box and 
defend balls into it. If that was what he was referencing, then he was talking about an improved ability to sit in a low block and deny the opposition chances, then it probably is a different animal. But all the references he's made so far this season are to improvement in perhaps the final third when, when you lose the ball going back and getting it quicker. And I think across the evidence of yesterday's game, I didn't really see much improvement in that whatsoever. In fact, I thought Swansea's press was quite a lot. And with that, he's gone. We'll never, we'll never find out what, what Sam was going to say at the end of that point. We'll, we'll, we'll get him back as soon as we can. But Pad, on, on that point, did, did you see a different Norwich City out of possession? I mean, I so I sort of came into the championship season expecting to see a Norwich City side that was probably a bit like what we saw in the opening two minutes of the, that contest. It was energetic. They wanted to press, wanted to engage teams pretty high up the pitch, wanted to try and disrupt what opponents were doing, particularly playing out from the back. Doesn't feel like we've seen that consistently enough. So I think from that perspective, you everyone would probably subscribe to the view that they needed to be a little bit better out of possession. Do, do you feel they made strides in that area yesterday? Were you expecting a little bit more? How, how would you reflect on, on their work in that particular area of their game? Well, again, it's this, you know, the result tells you clean sheet away win that, yes, they achieved their objective in, in that regard. Um, and, and you then overlay the possession, you know, overwhelmingly in Swansea's favour. The game overwhelmingly played in the Norwich half. So, to walk off the pitch with a clean sheet, they they clearly did achieve that objective without the ball. But in terms of different animal, that sort of hints at some marked radical departure in it, and it wasn't that at all um, without the ball. It was what we've seen in periods of this season. You know, my my mind goes back like the first half, for example, against Swansea, where they were capped by that Sanani turnover very early on, which led to a big pooky chance, which then indirectly led to the the next phase of play from the corner where they scored. Um, my mind goes back to Coventry City at Carrow Road when I think Nunes robs Gustavo Hamer high up in the pitch. Ball gets turned over, Puki goes through and scores. You know, so we've seen that aspect before. That wasn't that wasn't a radical departure. And and equally the second half, which was more, as Sam touched on there, low block defending the edge of their own box. Well, that was Sunderland, that was Blackpool uh, away from home, which we've already talked about. So no, I, I, it wasn't wasn't a radical departure. I mean, it, it's elements that we've seen in Norwich's better defensive phases this season. But the nub of the matter is, both with and without the ball, what has been glaringly obvious is they're not able to find that consistency. And by that we mean, on occasion, not even from game to game, but within games. You know, the the, the way they lurch from seemingly in control and on top to, you know, conceding the, the initiative. Um, has been a, a constant theme under Smith this season. So, you know, I'll only buy into an idea that, that we're seeing a different animal if it's, and I think Ben Gibson touched on this in his post-match interview, if they follow it up with series of clean sheets, one after the other, because then you're building a body of work which does hint at more than we can do it as and when. No, we can do it as as our as our benchmark, essentially. Um, and again, like I touched on earlier, in terms of you know, until I until I see a consistent seam of results at Car Road, and then it's very hard to sort of d- debate that it's basically more of the same. So, yes, different animal. Well, if a different animal translates into something that we haven't seen before, then no, because we've seen those aspects of their defensive work at Swansea last season, but uh, uh, sorry, earlier in the season, but. It's the consistency factor now. And if they follow up Blackburn and next at Car Road with a clean sheet win, then, yeah, you can start to say, OK, maybe we are now seeing tangible evidence of something which is more longer lasting than, you know, 20 minutes in a game or even a game itself. So, um, but, you know, I'm sure. And that's worth reiterating. He did also make it quite clear his post-match. He wasn't happy with what they did with the ball. and He felt they were too passive in the second half. He's not, you know, he's not delusional and thought that was the perfect performance. Far from it. But I, I think given post Middlesbrough, he made much play of this work without the ball. He touched on it again on Friday in the build-up. A gripe of his, he, he used that phrase all season, their inability to press and turn over the ball um, to the degree he expects or demands. Then maybe overall, he, he had that box ticked against Swansea, but you know, I, I think until we until we see more evidence, then um, 
I don't think there'd be too many Norwich fans who would share his assertion that that was a different animal at Swansea. No, I mean, my, my fear about that win really is that I've kind of seen it before. I've seen Norwich City win like this before and it's proved to be unsustainable. It hasn't been something that they've been able to do on a consistent basis, particularly at home, like you say. And and that is the fear. Um, Blackburn are, are, are up next. They currently sit third in the table. I know that they, they didn't have a particularly good result or performance on Saturday against Preston. Um, and I know that they haven't drawn a game this season, so they've been a bit all or nothing. So you don't, you're not really sure what you're going to get from those either. Um, but... The fear is that once they, they face a team that does have a bit more thrust or uh, is a bit more willing to come up physically against them, which we have seen on occasion this season, that there is going to be a, a struggle to contend with that still. And uh, and that is a, a real concern. What did, what did you make? Because you, you were in the room and there's been a lot of uh, focus on this kind of after the event. And, and once those kind of quotes were out there of, of Russell Martin's comments about how Norwich players were essentially apologising to him once they came off the pitch for for obviously what they what what they maybe perceived to be or what he perceived to be an unjust result because of um you know you you basically cut the final third away and 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 certainly in general play I think it's difficult to argue that that Swansea were the better team although there's an element of that which as Sam said earlier is is because Norwich City had something to hold on to and and they were in a little bit of protective mode so that that did probably affect how the game transpired overall but what do you make of, of those comments have they been taken out of context a little bit have they been overrated a little bit what, what's kind of your view on that because you were in the room when Russell Martin delivered them certainly was yeah I mean I've just looked I, I had a sense that it was the case but I've just double checked and they've now gone six games without winning the championship so for me I think that was more for his domestic audience um, essentially pointing out that they were every bit as good as Norwich and probably better in many facets other than the one that ultimately mattered, which was the uh, the scoreline. Um, and I, I guess if you're pushing that narrative, it helps to throw in, a, and I'm not for a minute disputing that there was one or two Norwich players who probably do know him. You know, I'm thinking the likes of Max. Um, he didn't reference any by name, but I'm just hypothesising that there's one or two players who were still there very young, but but still there when he was was at the football club, maybe in the academy more so than the first team environment. Um, so I mean, it was noticeable both Aaron's and, and Liam Gibbs they, they were warmly embracing Matty Gill at the final whistle, just in the mouth of the tunnel. So you know, if you've got that relationship with these guys, then you probably would sort of say, well, we we maybe dodged a bullet there today, and then you were very good, your team, and, and it's the sort of throwaway stuff you would say. I don't think. I don't think there was some huge Mia culpa. Or no, we're, we're absolutely distraught to be leaving here now with three points because let's be honest, they they were more than happy to get the three points, get on the coach, get on the plane back to Norwich. And if you haven't played at your best and maybe you've rode your luck, then probably as a professional, that feels even better, you know, rather than, you know, you've turned it on and um, you're fully meriting of the results. You probably savour those ones when it's against adversity and, and you haven't reached your levels, yet you still get the result. You probably feel, well, that, that actually shows, as Smith alluded to, you know, the togetherness, the spirit, the character, the resilience in a group. So, bringing it back to Russell Martin, no, I, 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 I wouldn't, I wouldn't overinterpret them from a Norwich perspective. I think he was maybe, as I say, off the back of now six games without a win in, in the league. Maybe just a, a message to his fan base to you know keep the faith almost, and that you know a team who he feels whether you agree or not, will be there or thereabouts with players who are good enough to be there or thereabouts. He felt his team more than matched Norwich. Um, and on another day, they walk off the pitch and they've won the game. So, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't... Anything that Russell Martin said in his post-match, I would I would filter through. Ultimately, he's, his, his priority, as he said in the build-up, it's not Norwich anymore, it's Swansea and the Swansea's fan base. So, I'd imagine that's just stick with us. We're doing a lot of good things and things and results will turn. Um, and it's worth pointing out, you know, despite them going now six games without a win, they're only four points by Norwich. They, they've had, for the level where they're coming at, where their expectations are, they're probably overachieving at the minute. And, and it'll be interesting now for me to see how him and Gilly uh, guide that club between here and the end of the season because there's a lot of, there's a lot of good things to admire about the style of play and, you know, how they try and dominate games of football but you can also see where they're falling short and it's the top end of the pitch and, and a bit of inexperience and naivety and that was encapsulated in what happened in the first sort of minute or two really which ultimately cost them the game so you know they're 
there's, there's some good things happening there, but but ultimately, you know, Norwich are far loftier ambitions as they should do, and uh, and maybe it was just that streetwise edge which ultimately decided that contest. Yeah, I do. I do think we need to be. I've seen this on a few occasions now with various bits that maybe people have have jumped on and criticised for the sake of criticising. I, I get, I get the mood, and I get the narrative and why that is why those two things are the way that they are. But I mean, that for me feels like criticizing for the sake of criticizing almost. I think Norwich and you say that there is a pre-existing relationship with some of Norwich City's players and, and Russell Martin and, and, and maybe the extent of those conversations and we weren't privy to them. So we don't know, uh, may have been overrated slightly. So I just think we, we have to be very careful with how much we are criticising people for private conversations that we weren't privy to, but but also more more broadly about jumping on every little thing and maybe interpreting it in a negative sense, which isn't always the way that it's intended. So um, that's just more of a general point that uh, I wanted to raise. But Sam, uh, you, you're back with us, uh, which is good. Um, I'm, I'm looking at the championship table in front of me now. Burnley are, are playing as, as we're recording this podcast. They're currently beating QPR 1-0. Actually, you look at where Norwich City are, so they're fourth at this moment in time. Uh, Sheffield uh, United, uh, did they, they won yesterday, did they? I, I presume they did. They beat Huddersfield 1-0. But the, the gap now to, to the automatic promotion places from Norwich, so Sheffield United in, in second, is uh, is six points currently. If, if Burnley were to see this out, it would be nine to, to the top. Just to put that into perspective, um, six points uh, in the other direction would, would take you down to Coventry pretty much in 15th. So that shows how utterly bonkers and bizarre this division is at this moment in time but it also reiterates maybe why there is such a, a focus on performances and sustainability because in in a championship that's so congested and, and it's always a cliched remark about the championship being so competitive but this year seems to, to highlight that in the extreme there does need to be a, a sign from Norwich that what they can do is is sustainable and I guess that is probably why people are looking at this victory with the performance behind it, maybe than just taking the result in isolation. And it was interesting actually to hear Ben Gibson say that Norwich wanted to play a lot like Swansea do, but maybe I think the the phrase he used was we're not quite there yet. So all all of this maybe paints the picture of a team that feels that there's more to come. And and probably that's reflective of the season so far, I, I, I would guess. Yeah. And you mentioned that, gap to, to promotion places, it feels to me when you add to it the inconsistency within performances and from game to game and the perhaps discrepancy between results and performances at times, it feels very like a team that's going to be in the playoffs. You look at the championship table now and usually when we get to this sort of stage of the season, two or three teams do start to pull away. And I'm sure going into it, Norwich would have felt they were very likely to be one of those teams, but for now it looks like they're going to be one of those sides that regularly impresses and regularly gets strong results, but isn't quite there with the consistency to dominate the division that they have um, both of the last two times they've been in the championship. And, uh, you know, not, as you not said... To, all this... Not to interject, sorry, but does that create a different narrative? And do people therefore need to look at what this season is going to be in a different light on the back of that? If it isn't uh, an, an all-encompassing title win. Do, do, do people's perceptions and maybe their their bars need to be lowered a little bit in terms of what we've seen from this group of Norwich players? Maybe in terms of <laughs> for their own um, expectations and for their you know for themselves. But I don't think there's any need to look at it and feel more sympathetic with Norwich because they haven't been able to pull away. I think actually it's probably more ammunition to criticise them with because we know there was significant confidence within the club before the season started, that they would be promoted. All the pundits outside it had them as one of the favourites. Um, and the squad and the manager and multiple staff all suggest that they're the types of people that should be in and around the top of the Championship. So as much as perhaps from game to game, it might be better for Norwich City fans' sanity to be going to games thinking, OK, you know, playoffs minimum, as opposed to the promotion, you know, automatic promotion minimum expectation that they had at the start of the season. I don't think we should now look at it and perhaps excuse some of the performances by saying, OK, they're they're a playoff team, you know, let's sympathise with them and admit that it's not always going to be there. Because the fact is that the quality of player at this level is such that it should be them. And um, 
the only two teams that I've really seen outperform Norwich in my view and the only two games where I've watched them and thought okay Norwich aren't really going to get a result here or Norwich we're never going to be good enough is Burnley and Watford their fellow two relegated teams um, and when they're up there you sort of have to ask the question a little bit as to why Norwich aren't there they spent significant sums on players who I'm sure they thought were perhaps even too good for championship level in the summer and they haven't been able to compete with those two teams um, that now might pull away um, particularly well. So, you know, I, I do understand that need to manage expectations and playoffs obviously always means you're in with a chance of promotion. Dean Smith has been promoted through the playoffs before Norwich have been promoted through the playoffs fairly recently as well. So it is a, a legitimate way of going back up to the Premier League but I'm sure had they looked at things going into the season they would not have accepted that lottery um, I think if you would have offered them the playoffs at the start of the season certainly those within the club wouldn't have taken it and judging by that measure you can't really feel too much sympathy for them that they're in and around this situation to be honest you have to probably call for it to be a little bit better and, and we're yet to see the performances that suggest it, it might be Yeah absolutely um, Pad uh I want to talk about Tami Puki. It feels like every one in every five pods we end up talking about him and, and some sort of goal scoring achievement that, that he's broken. He's his goal yesterday means that he's he's now leapfrogged uh, leap leap for that's easy for me to say on Sunday Sunday morning afternoon leapfrogged uh, Robert Fleck into fourth in the all time goal scoring charts. It's now you and Roberts. There's uh, as I said, there's some dispute. I think we've got him down as having 97 goals. I think the the, the official figures are 96. Um, I'm not quite sure why there's a discrepancy. I think there was a goal that maybe. Was, should have been credited to, to him that wasn't, um, but that's that's from Pete Raven, who uh, who, who is our ex colleague, who, who we trust. So I'm I'm going to stick with 97. So that would put Tame Puki 12 behind Ewan. What what I wanted to highlight more so is because there's, there's been a lot of talk about him this season and maybe his wavering um, influence from a goal scoring perspective. But but actually, you, you look at his numbers. So he's now on seven goals for the season, four assists. In 21 games, that that would put him at, at, at what 11 goal contributions. That's that's still one in two that he's contributing to a Norwich City goal. Is some of the criticism that's come in his direction, and maybe it's not even necessarily aimed at Timo Puki. It's more his role within a system that maybe don't quite match, and that's probably where maybe some of the discussion comes from. But there's no disputing those numbers and, and his numbers in a Norwich City shirt. If he has opportunities, particularly at this level, he scores goals even now. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that assessment at all. I think, um, you know, second half, I mean, yesterday, second half, he's, he's essentially sat on the halfway line watching Swansea attack versus Norwich defence. What what conceivably can he do, um, you know, uh, uh, when the service is that fitful? You know, literally one or two counter-attacking attacking forays in the entirety of that second half. Um, you know, when he, when he uh, cut, cut this league asunder in the two previous attempts that ended up in championship title wins you know we don't want to lay with a point but he, he, he had the framework around him to maximise his natural attacking gifts um, namely a player in Emi Buendia who was on the same wavelength and um, and led, led a an, an enviable cast list of, of attacking midfield options who could supply Puki with the type of service he needed and Palpably, he hasn't had that this season. Not over the entirety of the season, you know. But I can't, I can't really pinpoint any real phase of the season, and that bleeds into the wider debate about Norwich and performance levels and structure and style of play, particularly with the ball. Um, he's now operating in a very different Norwich uh, to 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 Daniel Farker's Norwich, and at this level, Daniel Farker's methods, whatever you think about him in the Premier League, were, were residually effective, and, and two title wins in two attempts. Uh, would underline that. So, yes, he's obviously not getting any younger. So maybe there's an element of that. Maybe his his powers aren't quite what they were. But, but as you said, there eleven goal contributions in twenty one, twenty two appearances. Um, that isn't a player who's over the hill by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, and even the movement, just just the, the trigger move yesterday to get around Cole Norton and anticipate that that Kenny McLean flick was going to land in that area of. At the back post inside the six-yard box. That's razor-sharp anticipation. Um, and there's no doubt in my mind that if you put the right players around him and the right template around him, he still will score you plenty of goals at this level. But, you know, it's all part of the 
the complex equation that Smith is wrestling with. You know, we, we've spent however many days since Middlesbrough sort of uh, gnashing and wailing of teeth about what they're not doing without the ball, but with the ball as well. There's plenty of work that needs to be undertaken. And, and you know, we've had this debate about Sergeant or Pookie or Sergeant and Pookie, um, and it's, it's not resolved still. But ultimately, there's two players there who've got 16 goals between them in the league this season. Um, and, and that's in a side who haven't really dominated enough games uh, for me. So, you know, the potential is there and he is very much still Norwich's championship spearhead. Yes, Sargent has shown that he's a he's a capable um, foil, but I still think Pookie is is the main man in terms of if you get the right service in and around him. Um, and as I say, you know, they will always have a chance in games with him in the side because out of nothing there, he's created a goal which has won them a game when you look at all the other match metrics, they probably don't deserve to win that game. So, um, you know, while you've got an attacking weapon like that, um, you know, it's really beholden on Smith and his coaching staff to try and extract far more because, you know, as I say, getting the right type of service on a regular, consistent basis. If he stays fit and healthy, you know, he's into double figures and a long way into double figures. Whether he quite gets up to uh, to Ewan's levels, which would mean another 11 or 12 goals a season, I'm not sure at this stage. But uh, it's not beyond him, put it that way. But you'd be far more confident if if you could see an attacking structure um, that was wrapped around him that, that on a weekly basis is getting the most out of him. And... You know, the players are there. You know, Ramsey not available this weekend, but, you know, he's he's got that in his arsenal. Dal, Cantwell, you know, all of these players have the ability, but hitherto, Sara even now is coming to the party in a, in, a, in, a, in a more prominent way in terms of chance creation. So, you know, there are players in this squad, but um, it's just another element in, in Dean Smith's in-tray. How, how do you come up with a system of play that really extracts far more from Timu Puki than what we've seen so far, which in pure numbers is is a healthy total, a healthy return. But, you know, maybe that's all part of the, the unlocking of where Norwich's season is going to go. If you could, with the ball, um, get Timu Puki in a system which, you know, furnishes him with far more chances than he gets per 90 minutes, then, then you might find that that goes a long way to moving Norwich along this path to being a far more fluid, far more potent um, side at this level. I, I still think he'll end up as Norwich City's top goal scorer this season by, by hook or by crook. I think he, he he will still be there. He's obviously not there at, at this moment in time, but I think that's that's where we will we'll end up. I mean, his, the numbers around his, his, his level of performance in the championship is absolutely staggering. 105 games played at this level, 62 goals, 18 assists. That comes up as 80 goal contributions in 105 games. So that means he's played 25 games of championship football that he hasn't scored or assisted in. Um, and, and again, to put that into perspective, 11 of those have arrived this season. So that that probably highlights that point that we're making in terms of how the structure around him needs to be better. But he proved yesterday, even when there is a slight opportunity. He, he can almost, it's that age, age old expression that gets used around strikers. He can almost smell opportunities, smell openings, can't he? And manufacture them himself. And those moments that maybe separate the, the good strikers between the very good strikers, where he can almost sense where a ball is going to drop and ensure that he is in a position to make that a very, very good opportunity. And it's still, he still had a lot to do when the ball dropped to him as well. And he he, uh, he lifted it probably a bit more than he would have liked, but it was still a, a very good finish. And of course, um, now up to fourth in the club's all-time goal-scoring uh, charts, which is, uh, which is some achievement. I also wanted to speak a little bit about Todd Campwell, Aaron Ramsey obviously missed the game yesterday through injury. Uh, Daniel Sonani started on the right. I felt it... it wasn't really a game geared to his qualities, if I'm being completely honest, but he was he was relatively anonymous, but again, not helped by how the game played out. But Sam, what, what did you make of Dean Smith's comments on, on Todd Campwell? He, he said that um, the, the pair had a conversation on Thursday. He suggested that, that Todd Campwell 
then requested to, to to sit out of this game, suggesting that he wouldn't be physically ready and and would prefer to have a few more sessions at Colney to to improve his his physical fitness. Um, what do you make of that situation? Because I think there will be some people who who look who will look at this and say, well, Norwich have just had a four week break where I'm sure they have had training. He was in Tampa as well. He played half an hour in a in a warm up game against Manchester City last weekend why why isn't he up to those levels now we don't know why that that is the case but w- what do you make of this because there is a perception and narrative fairly or unfairly I think often unfairly around Todd Campwell it, it, it probably it, it's an intriguing one isn't it I think if, if, if we if we phrase it like that yeah you could say intriguing to be honest I find it absolutely bizarre especially given Smith sort of praised it I think he said it's an attitude he loves um, and I can't imagine there are too many managers up and down the football league that are loving attitudes from players where they don't feel they can be part of a squad going into a, a big game for them. Um, I suppose the honesty might be a, a factor for, for Dean Smith and the willingness to recognise that he has to improve. But for a player who has been fighting against those sorts of perceptions you referenced for a good portion of his Norwich City career, I'm not sure it's a, a great look and it is quite puzzling because it's the sort of thing you don't really hear um, a lot. The idea that a, a player rules themselves out of contention um, because of, you know, not a tangible injury, but a, a physical fitness issue. And um, it does feel quite strange. So I don't know where things go from here. Uh, I suppose we'll have to, we'll have to track it and see what sort of, um, involvement Todd Cantwell sees in the next few games but it maybe would have been a more crushing blow and more of a story had he actually had the sort of start to the season perhaps a lot of people hoped he would or expected he he would once they saw the signs of a player totally on board and with the enthusiasm that we've maybe seen from him before you know we went into the season um, with based on a a pre-season where he'd shown a lot of enthusiasm a lot of hard work and he was clearly a man with a desire to play a part in this Norwich City team but a player who's out of contract in the summer and probably is on a little bit of a trial in terms of whether they get a renewal or not and even if he doesn't want to be at Norwich he's on trial in terms of what sort of club he now gets in the summer it seems like a really really bizarre decision for me not only to miss out on that opportunity to showcase himself and to put himself across to Dean Smith and perhaps other clubs as what sort of player he is but to probably create a little bit of a story around him. And yes, those conversations would have happened behind the scenes, but Todd Cantwell and Dean Smith both would have known that that question would have been asked by us when he was missing from the match day squad. And to perhaps feed that perception a little bit um, by electing to stay in train, it seems a bizarre decision for me. It seems bizarre to me that Dean Smith is happy with it. And it's a situation I'm, I'm keen to watch develop because... There are quite a lot of intangibles in there, as there seem to be across a number of key and quite negative moments in Todd Campbell's career. So without wanting to judge, without knowing all the the facts, um, it is certainly a concerning development and one that you wouldn't have expected at this stage of Todd Campbell's career. Yeah, absolutely. And and of course, both Campbell and Puki, um, part of eight Norwich City players, I think it is now that Kenny McLean signed a new deal, uh, who are out of contract in the summer. Uh, you asked, pa- uh, Pad, you asked Dean Smith the question about whether conversations have been had about extending those. And uh, it, it doesn't seem like that has been the case at this stage, um, which is interesting. Of course, uh, those players are free next as of next month to talk to clubs overseas about signing pre-contractual agreements. So, uh Again, uh, an interesting situation that you've got such a chunk of your squad with Pookie and Campwell, players of differing levels of importance, uh, out of contract. So we'll, we'll see how that develops. Um, Pad, I, I thought we'd we'd uh, we conclude the pod by speaking about our, our weekend a bit because uh, it was a an eventful trip to to Wales, wasn't it? All told, uh, I, I guess it, where do you want to start? Do you want to start in? in what was it Reading West service station do you want to start with with your uh, wake up call in the middle of the night which one would you prefer uh well i mean to be fair the reading anecdote you should tell that connor because you nearly got us into a bit of a altercation with some very upset locals so you tell that one 
Well, to be fair, I, I didn't even know that that was the case. So, uh, so we've 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 obviously uh, we've got we've gone down on on the Friday night. Brazil were playing Croatia, weren't they? It was during that game. I think it was it was either the end of the game going into extra time or one of the ends of one of the halves of extra time. I'm not sure. Might have been. I think it was the end of the second half, wasn't it? And uh, there's as, as there is in most service stations, there's a screen up on the wall. People are obviously crowded crowded around that just to watch that how how the end of that game develops but um to to give you an idea of the building you, you the the screen um just to the right of that there's a corridor that leads to the toilets which is where i was heading um and i've just stopped very very momentarily just to to look at the score line and it happens i i didn't even realize um that i've managed to to stand in the way of of two locals who um were watching the game and and, and again i didn't i didn't hear but apparently uh, you 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 informed me there were some comments made about my my and I and I'm 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 quite tall, so I understand their frustrations to an extent. But um, there were some comments made, weren't there, about my positioning? It, it wasn't necessarily the best. Uh, you were rude, Connor. If you, if you want to be uh, brutally honest, uh, to paraphrase what was said, uh, we you were described as very rude, and uh, uh, my concern was that we would end up with police being called because they were <laughs> quite quite aggressive and combative. But but then the payoff to that story, I think you're right. I think it was towards the end of normal time in a game which went to extra time. And when uh, we were five, ten minutes further on um, and ready to depart en route to our base in Newport that night, uh, so in other words, into extra time, they'd, they'd departed. So, so I find it quite amusing on reflection that they were ready, ready to have, uh, you know, fisticuffs, it felt like, judging by their tone of language. And yet they'd already left by very early in extra time. So I don't think, unless they were rushing home to watch the conclusion because they were disgusted at not being able to watch the television because there was a tall man from Norfolk in their way. I don't know. But um, so, yeah, no, that, 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 that was quite, a, quite an interesting development. But, uh, but to, to go back to your other point, yeah, then, then at our base, unfortunately it's the time of year now, but um, we were housed in a wing of our hotel where there was clearly an office party Um with a lot of the office staff staying the night and they, shall we say, enjoyed themselves and to the point where at 2.30 in the morning, I'm get, I get rudely awoken by some screaming women who should know better because I think they, I don't think they were in the first flush of youth, let's put it that way, but, uh, and they were obviously so inebriated, they would seemingly thought my room was their room and they were, all I could hear was somebody at the door handle trying to get into my room, which was locked, I hate <laughs> So um, not happy because then it went on for about two hours, literally running up and down the corridor, uh, carrying on the after party. And uh, the upshot was uh, a very disrupted night's sleep. So, um, yeah, not the perfect preparation. And let's be honest, the way that game panned out, I could have easily fallen asleep in the second half. Uh, That wouldn't have just been solely down to the affair on offer. But, yeah. It was, yeah. And then, of course, obviously, then we had six-hour drive back interspersed by, sadly, another World Cup exit for England. No, oh, I wasn't going to mention it. I wasn't going to mention it. So so we went from a position of um, having to... Uh, yeah, and, and, and I want to say, if if, if they happen to be listening, I apologise for standing in their way. It was it was an inadvertent error, and it was for literally about four seconds. So uh, I'm not quite sure it warranted the response that it, it apparently got. Not that I heard it. But uh, I, I can imagine that um, you were particularly... Uh, you, you, well, I'm surprised that you, you a few choice words weren't um, shouted from your, your hotel room, I must be honest at that. Because I, I think if, if, if it was me in that position, I, I, it certainly would have been. Yeah. No, I was more... You know, you're in that half... You've been woken with a start. You're kind of in a half-sleep state. So you only mm. process it after the event. But unfortunately, I had about an hour and a half after the event to process it because there was no way you were getting back to sleep. And uh, our colleague, Adam Harvey, would testify. I think you two gentlemen were probably well, slightly a better part of the corridor and didn't really hear the commotion. Yeah, yeah I, was, I, was, right. I did get, a, I did get a, a pull on the handle that I um, didn't process until the morning until you said, oh, they're trying to get in my room. So I think I may have been subject to a very small amount of disruption. But yeah, I was uh, mostly I was all right. I, I don't know if I'm a heavy sleeper then, because I I just did not hear it. I, I think there was a, I, I was um, kind of awoken for about five seconds at around one ish at some noise, and and but after that there was nothing. I, and we weren't a million miles away either. We were kind of 
if you imagine a big long corridor, there was then essentially four rooms, so two either side and then sort of two centrally. So I was kind of opposite you, wasn't I? And and then Sam, you were in the central one that was next to me. So I'm not quite sure why I didn't hear it. Maybe I'm just a really heavy sleeper and I didn't know, which is a possibility. But, um, but, there, but there we go. And then, and then of course, um, Pat, since you mentioned the World Cup, we we then have a really bizarre situation of obviously missing that game, which would have been the case for a lot of Norwich City fans who, who travelled to South Wales yesterday. I'm sure they would have been huddled around smartphones or, or around the radio to, to listen to how that unfolded. But um, we essentially reached the service station that we stopped at. It was it was still 1-1 at that point, wasn't it? And we we, we went in, then Olivier Giroud's goal happened um, and then England were awarded the second penalty, which Harry Kane missed. Uh, and there was a radio that was in the services, but it was about a minute behind what was actually happening. So we were obviously refreshing social media, knowing that stuff had happened before we were hearing it on the radio. And I think we managed to dart back to the car to listen to Harry Kane missing the penalty. It was it was quite a, a bizarre way, as this whole period has been, quite a bizarre way to consume a World Cup quarterfinal. Yeah, well, I mean, for me, I didn't, I, I wasn't aware that Giroud had scored because yeah, no, you weren't. Yeah, I remember that conversation actually. I, yeah. thought, I yeah. thought that was a penalty to put England two one up with about two minutes to go. But so it was only after he'd missed it, then. then so it's even. It was like it was like a double yeah, hit for you, then, wasn't it? That was it was like a punch yeah. in the face and then another one soon after. Yeah, I think I think I can only assume that at the point where Giroud scored, I'd, I'd departed to the uh, the restroom and, and missed it, but. Uh, yeah, no, it puts me in mind that I was saying this to, I'm not sure it was, might be Phil Daly from Radio Norfolk, but it's the second time I've been working when England have been at a major, when they played Germany, I think it was 2010, the Lampard ghost goal. Um, that was a Sunday afternoon from memory. And I was actually covering the Norfolk Amateur Golf Championships. So prior to, I was distraught that I was going to be, no offence to the Norfolk Amateur Golf Championships, but I was... You know the prospect of England Germany in a World Cup knockout phase game, but uh, obviously the way that the wheels came off there, I was quite happy to be on the uh, the 16th following round. Whoever it's that long ago, I, I don't remember. But uh, I thought you you two and Adam t- took it in your stride because I was saying to my wife this morning, funnily enough, when you know when I was in my early twenties, whenever England used to go major tournaments, uh, it used to cut me quite deep. But I think I think with the passage of time, you get used to the disappointment. But I was half expecting you three to be almost inconsolable, but it wasn't the case. I was well, a bit I, gutted at the opportunity, the, the lack of an opportunity to enjoy a semi-final with friends. But other than that, I don't, I don't feel like uh, it's one of those things. England, I don't care enough to. It's one. Of, uh, and he's gone again, so we'll, we'll never finish that sentence. But I, th- I think for me, um, he's, he's kind of, it, it doesn't become a shock anymore, does it really? I think yeah. you, you get to this stage and, and, and pretty much every major tournament that I've seen in, in my life, this has kind of happened with probably the exceptions of the Euros last summer where obviously they reached the final. But even then that that ended in, in disappointment. So I, I, I think for me, it's just, I, I, I reflect on it as a bit of a shame because the way the tournament had transpired and obviously it's now Morocco in the semi-finals it felt like they had a wonderful opportunity. And actually, I, I think the winner of the World Cup will come from that tie. So I think France will probably go on and win it now. So that that's probably the major frustration. But if I'm honest, and I said this to, to you guys travelling up, I, I probably, I, I, I didn't think there was a lot between the teams. I think that probably came through in, in the game. But I, I probably expected France to edge it. So maybe it's an expectation thing that you kind of expect it. And then when it happens, it, it maybe um, it doesn't affect you too much. Um uh, and I think probably the fact that we were listening to it on a radio probably added some distance, maybe. I'm not quite sure. Um, but to, to go back to, to Norwich, Pad, Blackburn at home uh, next weekend, uh, it's, 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 it's actually poised to be a really interesting game because you, you look at where the two teams are in the table. Blackburn, obviously, in third, as I mentioned, Norwich in fourth. There's, there's a point difference. Um, Blackburn on, on 36, Norwich on 35. So it is really an opportunity for Norwich, providing that that Watford don't win their game in hand because they've got a better goal difference than Blackburn. Um, but it, it would essentially mean that Norwich leapfrog Blackburn by a couple of points. But obviously, if Blackburn were to win, that would then push them uh, four points ahead of Norwich City, um, which at this stage of the season would just add a distance probably between Norwich and those at the top of the division. So it does it does feel, probably from Norwich's case, more like a must not lose, but I guess then you add in the context that we spoke about earlier about their Car- their Carrow Road form and the fact it is at Carrow Road, there will be an expectation on them to win. So 
how do you see this one playing out and also the importance of the fixture more generally? It feels like a big one, yeah, for the reasons you've set up there, the, the proximity of a... And if, to sort of develop a little bit the, the chat we had earlier about, you know, is there, is there a lowering expectations now almost imperceptibly and, and it's a playoff sort of horizon as opposed to automatic... That's not definitive, clearly. The amount of games left would indicate that they're still more than capable. But if it is the, the lesser of those two um, bars that they need to clear, then you're playing a team with one place and one point above you. It's it's big. It's big. And they will be smarting, um, you know, to lose 4-1 four, four at home to, I guess you'd call them a Lancashire rival in Preston. Another team are in the top six as we as we sit here and record this. Um no doubt Thomason will be will be seething with that result and, and want a response. So and they have goals in the team, you know, Britain, Diaz, he's he's the last two seasons, he's shown himself to be a very effective force at this level. Um it looks like they're 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 building something there. So yeah, I, I think this is gonna be a a very intriguing game. But for all the reasons we've talked about in this podcast. Norwich have to put their best foot forward. They have to win this game from their own point of view internally uh, and for their fan base to give them the belief. So I don't, I, is they they haven't beaten anybody in the top six. Am I right in saying, Connor? I don't think they have, have they? Uh, let me just have a look. Uh, yeah, didn't beat think... Watford. They didn't beat Preston. Uh, they didn't beat Sheffield United. They didn't beat Burnley. Correct. So Blackburn only team left to play of the current top six. But, but yeah. that 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 statistic is correct. Yeah, as, as things stand. And ultimately, you know, it's not it's not definitive. But if you're not able to beat any of your direct rivals, then it, it doesn't bode well moving forward. Um, so again, on many levels, the victory with a performance that merits the victory, I think, um, can really inject some go forward in, into to what's to come. And uh, you know, conversely, if it goes the other way, then. Sadly, it's gonna. I think subject Smith and those players to even more criticism, more scrutiny, and more questions. And um, and the only way that they stop, and the only way that a lot of people who still the jury's out, and maybe others who are, have harder assessments of Smith and feel he's maybe ran his course, the only way that changes is consistent run of results and performances, and particularly at Car Road, where hitherto they've they've not cut the mustard. Um, and to do it, as I say, against a Blackburn team who you think by this stage of the season, you can probably say with a fair degree of certainty, they're not going to fall away. So that they're going to be up there for the remainder of the season, there or thereabouts. To get the get the win over them uh, and play well into the bargain, I, th- I think that really would feel like a step forward for me um, with another two out of the next three at Cairo to come as well. So, yeah, this this does feel like... For many reasons, because fundamentally it's only it's only three points at the end of the day, and it's you know we're not in late April, and you know it could be the deciding factor. Far from it, but given all the disjointed nature of the season to this point, um, to follow up what they did very well at Swansea with a, a more polished, more rounded performance with a win against Blackburn at Car Road, yeah. Then, then maybe we can start to see a bit more light at the tunnel at the end of the tunnel, and and even the ones who are in the Norwich fan base who really are not having Smith and this group of players at the moment might be might be willing to maybe soften their stance a little bit. But you know, it's all very well talking, and I'm sure Smith will say the right things in the build-up. But fundamentally, we need to see a step forward in terms of with the ball uh, and maintain what they did without the ball at Swansea, because I think. I think Blackburn won't be as compliant, even though they're coming off the back of you know quite a quite a heavy defeat for them. That is a bit of an anomaly in terms of their season as a whole. I don't think they'll come to Carrow and roll over. They'll probably come to Carrow and relish it and look at a team who have struggled to impose their authority at home and think, yeah, if we can get into these um, and expose that kind of vulnerability, get the fan base against this team, then, you know, there's a result here for them. So it's a really intriguing game in prospect. And, you know, it's a big game for many reasons. And 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 we're getting to the point now where Norwich do need to deliver. Smith needs to deliver. You know, it's not enough to kick the can down the road and say there's plenty of games left, plenty of points left. Fundamentally, if this 
season is going to chart in a in the positive trajectory we all hope um you know you need to start putting something sustainable in place beyond 20 minutes in a game one game two game spell it needs to be i mean i had a look there earlier the last time norwich won back to back games in the championship was mid september you know we're getting on for 3 months down the track that's nowhere near good enough for a team with aspirations to get back to the premier league so when they've got an opportunity this weekend coming they need to take it. Absolutely. And we'll be at Carrow Road, of, uh, of course, to uh, bring you all the updates, analysis and reaction from that game. Plenty of content across our channels uh, in the week coming up as well. There'll also be a special podcast with former Norwich City manager Martin O'Neill at some point this week, which uh, is is going to be uh, an excellent uh, listen, I think, for for, for people of, of that era, and um, particularly those who, who remember his, his managerial spell and uh, maybe reflect on it with a bit of what if. But that... that does us nicely pad thank you very much thank you to sam as well who's uh, who's still not been able to rejoin us but um thanks to him for his contributions as well thank you all very much for listening and we'll see you all again next week